Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday and happy Easter. There is a tradition baiting back many years in church history on Easter. I am going to say he is risen loudly, and you are going to respond, he is risen indeed. And the whole point for this, pretend you're at a sporting event or some other place where you let your inner child behave childishly and say it loudly as you can, he is risen indeed. He is risen. Way better than first service. He is risen. He is risen. I love doing that. Thank you, friends. Thank you all. So my name is Pete, and I am one of the pastors here, and today we get to celebrate the greatest day in the history of the world, the day of Christ's resurrection. It is a day that changes everything. Easter is at the center of our faith. It is at the center of our community life. It is the center of how we understand both God and the world. We serve the God of resurrection life. For the past five weeks, we've been in a series called All Things Rise. It's named after the song that we'll be singing right after the message. And each week, we're looking at the scriptures that inform the lines of our worship song. Pastor Justin started the series by talking about how God's goodness is free goodness is free and boundless. I got to preach about how God forms the worlds in goodness. And we had Wade Verrier, a pastor from California, share about our calling to love's occupation. And then last week, Sandy Knudsen, our fantastic pastoral intern, taught about how uh, the line, we are sown in weakness, how there's real brokenness in the world and in ourselves. And it's a weakness that can find healing in Christ. This week, I get to preach the central message of Christianity. On this day, thousands of years ago, Jesus Christ was raised up, just like one day we will be raised up too. Now, traditionally, churches in the West have taught about a relationship between sin, which is all the things that we do that are short of perfect. Sin is something we're all living in all the time. The relationship between sin and death which in the Western tradition primarily focuses on Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the idea here is that there are consequences for every wrong thing in the world, including the wrong stuff that we do. And this is kind of a no-brainer, right? Like we all know the wrong stuff that we do impacts other people and ourselves and creation in negative ways. And so there's obviously a kernel of truth there. There's another way of looking at the relationship between sin and death. In Eastern churches, in the Orthodox Christian tradition, they emphasize how death actually leads to sin. The Bible says we are created for eternal life, that we are meant for eternal life, and that desire for eternity lives in the human heart. But everywhere around us, we are confronted in a world where death reigns. Even in the United States, where we hide death more than most cultures, where anybody dying gets put in a hospital or a nursing care home, we cannot escape the fact that death is coming. And so in the East, they believe that much of our sin, much of the wrong we do, comes from knowing we're going to die. In our desire to live forever and our awareness of impending death, we become frightened and selfish and determined to get everything we can for ourselves before we're gone. In the Eastern tradition, it's death that leads to sin. The good news for us today is that the resurrection breaks both of those cycles. First, Jesus came to bear the cost of all sin, 
to bear in his own body the wages of sin that Romans 6.23 talks about, which is death. That means that in Christ, we are set free from the cycle of bad things leading to bad consequences that lead to more bad things. We're set free by the love of God, demonstrated in Christ's life and teaching and healings and resurrection. And I am super grateful for the cycle of sin and death being broken. As a former drug addict and dealer, I live with the cost of things I've done in the past, as well as all the wrongs that we continue to commit in the present. Jesus Christ covering over the things that we've done that are wrong through his death and resurrection allows us a peace that I don't know if I could find any other way. The resurrection also means that we can be set free com from committing sins that are ultimately grounded in our fear of death. Jesus' resurrection is meant as the first of many, the first and most important, but also a demonstration that God has defeated the power of death and we will live in eternity. And there is a freedom that comes with that, the kind of freedom that has meant historically Christians could do things like, when plagues appear, move toward them to take care of people who are suffering instead of flee and run away. Christians knew they could die, but they also knew that even if we die, we will still live. Amen? The passage for today's message comes from 1 Corinthians 15, and here's how verses 3 through 9 read. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures say. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And so Paul says here, he's passing on what is most important. Another translation says, I am passing on what is of first order importance. And so anybody reading this letter from Paul in the ancient world and anybody carefully reading their Bible today gets a clue what follows is the heart of Paul's message. He says of greatest importance to those of us following Jesus is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead just like the Bible predicted. The center of our message is that God has overcome death through Jesus Christ. That's a message of liberation and freedom that has resounded throughout humanity for thousands of years, and it is a message that is still important for us today. How is the world doing out there? Is the world all of a sudden not broken anymore? I mean, the sun's shining. That's nice. We got a warm Easter. That's pretty good. But are people all of a sudden treating each other like every human life has great value to God and to us? Are we all of a sudden able to do everything our heart yearns for and become who we dream of being? Uh, the answer is no. Our world is still broken, and that includes us. And people, including us, still treat each other as less than valuable all too often. 
there's still this giant gap between who we dream of being in our daily life and the daily life that we actually go home to and lead. And this stuff is the reason that Jesus came. He came to teach and demonstrate and fully live out the powerful love of God that changes the world forever. Amen. Amen. Appreciate you, brother. Paul, through the Bible, is passing on to us a message that can change your life. Jesus Christ is alive. The love of God is real, and God's love is stronger even than death itself. This message has transformed so many of our lives. Many of us here today are living in the same world we've always lived in, but with a new hope that sustains us in the present because it is a hope in an eternal future. And so we have a chance to pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, your kingdom come here. Your will be done right here on earth like it is in heaven. And then we get to go out and experience what it's like to see the answer to that prayer day by day by day. We don't ever see it fully and perfectly, but as we pray it, we see it more and more. And so this makes Paul's letter to the Corinthians very interesting. Paul wrote this before the Gospels were written, before any stories of Jesus' life had been collected and written down. This is among the earliest of the New Testament biblical writings. And he wrote it having had a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. He had been traveling from city to city, actually looking for Christians so that he could have them arrested and in some cases killed. He was there at the first recorded Christian martyrdom, the first time someone was killed for their faith. He was holding the coats of all the people who stoned Stephen to death. Paul was avidly following a different faith, and he wanted Christians wiped out. But Paul had an encounter with a very much alive and very much present Jesus Christ. He was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, that was his name before he changed it to Paul, why are you persecuting me? And out of that experience, Paul gave his life to God and accepted that Jesus Christ is alive. And his entire life was turned upside down. In that encounter, he was actually struck blind for a few days. And he was healed after meeting another Jesus follower who told Paul more about Jesus. And then he went to live among Christians in community for several years before beginning his missionary journeys, during which he started new churches like the church in Corinth that he's writing to in our passage today. And so Paul can pass on what has been the single most important thing in his life. Meeting the resurrected Jesus changed him completely. He went from trying to wipe Christianity out to being the greatest missionary of all time for Jesus Christ. His encounter with a living Jesus Christ broke his cycle of sin and death, and it set him free for a life of sharing the good news of Jesus with everybody that he met, and then traveling all over the entire known world in order to tell even more people. And we're lucky we get this letter that he's written where he passes on what he has received. He longs with the heart of a pastor to give other people the good stuff that he got. And so just as he received, he invites you and us to receive that message today and be transformed. 
Paul had to be knocked to his knees and blinded in order to get the message of the good news. Today, you have the chance to do it with donuts. All right? You got an easier setup than the Apostle Paul. Receive the donut, the communion later, and the message of Jesus Christ, who loves you. So let's make sure we all hear the good news today. God did not make the world and leave us to our own devices. God does not intend to be distant and uncaring for you. God is not totally unfathomable. The Bible says that Jesus perfectly reveals God to us. Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so what does seeing Jesus reveal to us about God? I'll give you three things. First, God wants to come to you. Jesus is God born in human flesh, the Son of God. That shows us how badly God wants to be with us. God could have stayed in heaven and communicated with us from there, but would that have worked? How good are you at following directions from afar? Anybody besides me terrible at that? When I get told what to do by a voice from far away, I'm going to do the other thing practically all the time, okay? I'm not very good at putting into practice things I learn from words that are far away. I hear them, but they don't connect. So Jesus was born among us and lived among us. The Bible says he experienced all the temptations and trials that are common to all of us. And so when we pray to God, we're not praying to a God who's sitting in icy perfection and unable to relate to what we're going through. We're praying to a God who's been abandoned, who's been lonely, who's been tempted, who's been betrayed and rejected and hurt by life in this world. We pray to a God who understands and is able to meet us where we are. Jesus is named Emmanuel in the Bible. The meaning of that word is God with us. <coughs> and so God wants to come to you. The second thing we learn from Jesus is that God loves you. Jesus ran into everyone his society said should be rejected. Lepers, foreigners, women who were ritually unclean, people with catastrophic mental health and physical health problems. He reached people who had plenty but knew they were missing something and counted them among his followers. In every case, Jesus would stop, meet people where they were, and most of the time, God showed up with some kind of healing power. Again and again, he reached out to the people who weren't supposed to feel included, who were not supposed to feel like they were part of the community of God's people, and he said, come on in. Jesus responded to challenging situations with love for those who crossed his path. Jesus showed us God's love through teaching and through action and through demonstration of miraculous power. If God is who Jesus reveals, we are blessed because the God Jesus reveals is good and generous and welcoming to all. In short, a God who loves us. 1 John 4 says God is love. The Bible says that even when he was being nailed up on the cross, Jesus was praying for the people, nailing him up. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this is super good news for those of us who've done terrible things 
or who just feel like we've done terrible things? Have you literally put a nail in the Son of God and hammered it in with a hammer? Correct answer is no. Okay? You have not. And even if you did, Jesus would pray for you as you did so, asking God to forgive you. It's Jesus who judges the living and the dead, and that is super good news for every one of us. That's who God is. The third thing Jesus shows us is that resurrection is coming. The Bible says in a passage I preached earlier in the series from Colossians 1, that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything on heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And so the resurrection starts with Jesus, but is intended to include all of creation, everything on heaven and on earth. God's plan is a universal reconciliation that makes peace with everything, spring, summer, winter, and fall. Even the two-day spring that we got. I love two-day spring. It's like practically summer right now. And so these are three core tenets of our Christian faith. God comes to us, God loves us, and the resurrection is coming. And so how can those beliefs change your life today and tomorrow and on into your family and your friendships and your jobs and the everyday stuff of life? How can you be different, whether you've known Jesus for a minute or for decades, because of the good news of Christ. I have two suggestions today. One way your life might change is that you could begin to let go of worry and fear. So many of our day-to-day -day concerns are grounded in a feeling, the feeling that if things do not go the way they're supposed to, I'll die, right? I don't know why will my alarm go off tomorrow makes it feel like I might die, but for some reason these worries and these fears follow us through life, distracting us from living in the present and causing us to have this feeling. And without the resurrection, those worries and concerns are correct. You will die. I mean, that's just straight up true. But in Christ, we can approach life in a new way. We can say to our temporary worries and concerns, yes, I might not get what I want right now just like Jesus didn't get what he wanted so often in his life. But in the end, I am going to have life everlasting, free from sin and death. I get to live in an unbroken world with no evil left in it. And so our temporary concerns no longer need to rule over us because whether they come true or not, we are grounded in eternity. And we can let go of those things. Another way your life might change is that you might be able to find some rest and some peace. I was just watching an interview this week with the actor who plays House MD, which is not a show I watch, but you know, uh, I was on YouTube and you accidentally click on things in YouTube, right? And he was asked, what's it like to be working over there in America? And he said, they are the most ridiculously hardworking people in the world. They can't wait to get up in the morning and get to work super early. This is second service. We can't identify with that, can we? But what I bet, here's what I bet is true. We're all working pretty hard. 
We are the hardest working culture in the world right now, just in terms of number of hours and what's expected of your standard worker. And how many of us are working two jobs? I got three right now. Like, we're just a hardworking culture. And so we're constantly go, 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 more to do, more to do. We got to make it happen. It all depends on us, right? Our world is full of busyness and demands, and often that batters our souls and our bodies. And so we drive ourselves to work harder on everything, even our faith sometimes. Well, in Jesus Christ, there's some super good news. The work is all finished. There's no more left for you to do. You can just breathe and take a break. You can live in grace. God's unmerited favor. You can rest in the knowledge that you're heading to eternity, not because of your striving, not because you did the right thing, not because you followed or broke the rules, just because of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, even in the present, we can just rest with God, accept his grace, and know that God is with us forever. You can breathe in the peace of God and breathe out the distractions and the things that pull at you and your to-do list and your jobs and all those other things. We find that as we spend time in the peace of God, Sometimes God does miracles, like miracles of healing, sometimes physical, sometimes mental, sometimes emotional. When we make the space for God to get involved in our life, sometimes God gets involved and meets us where we are. That's my prayer today, that you would know God's peace. And so I'm going to pray that for all of us. I'll invite the worship team to come back, and I'm going to invite you to just sit back, close your eyes if you feel it, and you can hold your hands open if you want to choose a posture of openness. And I'll just lead us in a prayer. So God, we come with all the burdens of life in a broken world today. Some fears and some worries. Some challenges and some circumstances. Many of us in need of healing. And we want to receive the gift of Christ today, God. Together we say yes to Jesus. And we offer all those things that we're carrying, God, to you. We ask that you would receive everything that we've been carrying. All the hard things, all the broken relationships. We just give those to you, God. As you take our burdens, we ask that you would give us what you have for us, God. That you would replace those things in our lives with healing and with your love and with your power. And I ask Christ that you would send your Holy Spirit now with peace and with power. I ask that you would wash your peace over our hearts and over our bodies and over our minds. I ask that you would turn the pages in our mind, God, away from distraction and into your presence and your eternity. I pray that you would give every one of your people here 
the gift of a resurrection life today, God. I have three tips for you for putting the word of God into practice as we have received it. Something to read, something to pray, something to do. First tip is to read 1 Corinthians 15, which has the first order message of importance for us as we live our Easter lives. Tip number two, pray for God to give you peace and love and resurrection. And we know that when we pray to receive these things as followers of Jesus, they fill us up and they flow out of us into the world. Because of God's peace, we can become peacemakers. Because of God's love, we can love other people even when they're hard to love. And because of Christ's resurrection, we can live into the resurrection with good news for everybody we meet. Tip number three is a little mystical. I'm gonna leave it between you and God to figure out what it means for you. Ask God to help you live a resurrection life this week. I don't know what that means for you. I know what that means for me, right? Ask God to help you live a resurrection life and then go do it as best you can. I love that we're having a how to hear God class. I can't imagine the person who would not benefit from learning more deeply how to hear the voice of God. I can tell you one way I hear the voice of God is I pray something like, God, give me a resurrection life. And then if anything good pops into my mind, I run with that thing. And so I invite you to pray this prayer and to run however God would have you go. If you're on the prayer team, could you come forward at this time? Could we all please stand as you're able? We close our service with worship and prayer because those are the most important things you can do when we get together. And we have the opportunity to receive prayer on Sundays. Uh, if you would like prayer, especially I think for letting go of fear and worry or receiving the peace of God in a world of busyness and distraction, we would love to pray for you. We will also pray for anything else under the sun because we actually believe in a God who gets involved here in the world. So take that opportunity anytime during the next few songs. We're going to have a couple songs, then we're going to take communion together, and the worship team will let us know when the service is over. If uh, you're visiting today, I would love to meet you, give you a welcome box, and see you after the service. Let's worship the Lord together.